ages ago, when the last of the dinosaurs were beginning to vanish from the face of the earth, man began a long, fateful climb towards mastery over who share his world. As the decades slowly passed, Homo sapiens learned to make fire his slave, but still found himself helpless before the mysterious fury of the elements themselves. Yet one race there was long since forgotten by the chroniclers of human history, a race which seemed to defy the slow, torturous progress of evolution, and managed to reach advanced civilization while its savage brethren still huddled in caves. Possessing weapons which could stun a deadly saber-tooth in mid-leap, or drop a monstrous mastodon in its tracks, they were regarded as supernatural demons by the primitive bestial beings who watched their actions with baleful, uncomprehending eyes. With the passage of time, as the primitives grew ever more numerous, those who advanced ages beyond them were constantly forced to seek new refuge away from the savages who sought to slay what they could not understand. And wherever they fled, they would load a magnetic-powered arc with living specimens for their ever-continuing research. Finally, as Homo sapiens continued to overrun the face of Earth, those who had surpassed their advancement by countless millennia created a hidden haven for themselves, the gleaming city of Atalan. Atalan, where every waking moment, every iota of physical energy, was dedicated to one goal alone, the advancement of human knowledge, until at last they made a discovery so awesome as to make a turning point for all of life upon this planet. Welcome to Artifacts of Infinity, where we dive into the infinite abyss of Marvel's cosmic universe. I'm Jonathan Hudson. And I'm Everett Christensen. This is Episode 9, and today we'll be covering Fantastic Four 37, Thor 142, and the backup stories in Thor 146 and 147. 37. Wait, 37's pretty far back, isn't it? What gives? That's my bad. This is content we had originally scheduled for episode one, but passed on for the time constraints. We've gotten a lot better since then, but going into the Kree Scroll War, this is one that just couldn't be missed. In addition, we have an appearance of one of my absolute favorites. We just couldn't help the back-to-back Thor coverage for our favorite Super Scroll, Kalert, who is still technically the only Super Scroll at this point. But, whew, gosh, that does not last. So, let's dig in with issue 37, Behold a Distant Star. This issue is written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone, colors by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Artie Simic, edited by Stan Lee, with Jack Kirby, Chick Stone, Stan Goldberg, and and Sam Rosen as the cover artists. So this cover is looking through what seems to be a hole in the wall. Two figures with guns are mostly occluded and facing away from the reader in the foreground. The Fantastic Four seem to be landing a spaceship on an alien planet and are reacting to the shadowy pair. There also happens to be an advertisement for the Mary Marvel Marching Society, and that's just rad. 
We open on Ben and Johnny getting ready for a wedding rehearsal when Reed just waltzes in with a power ray turned on and Johnny's flames start to burn out of control and destroy the suit. Apparently it's a power amplifier and Reed alludes to its drawing power from somewhere else. So good job hastening entropy, bro. Alicia comes in and asks Reed to go talk to Sue. She's beside herself over the death of her father, killed by a scroll bomb. Sue is frustrated that his murder will go unpunished and is worried that the scroll menace remains, ready to strike at any time. We covered that in episode one, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was episode one. Meanwhile, in a sweet scroll space yacht, we meet Princess Anel and Morat a scroll warlord. Anel is quite conflicted here. On the one hand, she thirsty for Morat. But on the other, he is a maniacal jerk with a silly mustache. Morat reveals that it was his plan to kill Franklin Storm, and Anel is disturbed by his cruel and heartless ways. She loves him, but he frightens her at the same time. Back on Earth, Reed is mounting an exposition... Ugh. Back on Earth, Reed is mounting an expedition to the Skrull homeworld to bring Dr. Storm's killer to justice. Ben points out the obvious flaw in this plan. Richard, you're a professional nut. Even if you find a way to get there, I ain't tackling a whole planet just on your say-so. I didn't mind tangling with the Hulk, or Submariner, or Doc Doom, or any of those other super-powered screwballs. But a whole planet? Yeesh. Now, Alicia Masters is there and assures Ben that she understands the risks he's taking and doesn't have to put on a front to protect her. Ben realizes that she's seen right through him and decides to go with the team. Reed gets NASA to loan him a Saturn rocket that he modifies to run on the Power Ray technology and punches a hole into subspace. Good job getting permission this time. They travel through what reminds me of the Bands of Unlife from the Galactus Saga. Reed tries to explain to Ben what they're doing with said subspace trip, and when Ben acts dumb, Reed immediately calls him out on feigning ignorance. This is always one of my personal favorite Fantastic Four interactions. Ben and Sue are actually really smart, they just aren't Reed smart. Anytime Reed acknowledges and respects their expertise, it really drives home that family feeling. Once the Fantastic Four reach the Skrull homeworld, we're given another one of those incredible images seemingly clipped together. It's full of planets, asteroids, and a rad-looking rocket. It also has the, the best text box in the issue. A personal note, for those of you who might claim our tale is too far-fetched, we offer in evidence this photo taken by remote control via a special camera ejected from the ship at the precise microsecond. Unfortunately, the quality of the picture is a trifle hazy due to the fact that no film made on Earth is specifically intended for use in the murky scroll atmosphere. The Fantastic Four land on the planet and are immediately beset upon by Skrull soldiers. Something is dreadfully wrong. Johnny can't stay flamed on. Ben loses his strength and Reed loses his elasticity. With their powers greatly diminished, it's easy for the Skrull to finally get our heroes with an immobilizer ray. Morat has now captured the Fantastic Four 
and Enel tells him he must inform her father, the Emperor. Morad assures her that he will, but Anel doubts his ruthless ambition. Of course, as soon as she's gone, Morat betrays her, saying that he will kill the Fantastic Four and take over the Empire. What a jerk and a liar. As soon as Morat opens up the Fantastic Four's prison, Reed jumps out in front and strikes a deal with Morat for unlimited power. Being a smug narcissist, Morat agrees and listens to Reed. I really like this moment of Reed just heroically jumping in front of everybody to shield them all uh, himself. I think that is a really good Reed moment. It is definitely classic Reed. Meanwhile, in the Imperial Palace, Anel lets it slip to her father that Morat captured the Fantastic Four. Being a canny ruler, the Skrull Emperor, who we will know in the future as Dorek, but is never named here, uh, he suspects that his would-be son-in-law to be treasonous. Together, they rush to arrest the Wayward Warlord. Back with the Four and Morat, the Skrull is trying out the Power Ray. Reed decides to show Morat how it's done and zaps Ben, Johnny, and Sue with the device before it's taken away from him. It takes a scroll blasting a reed with the power ray for them to notice something's wrong. The Fantastic Four have been repowered and immediately get into a melee with Morat and his scroll skirmishers. Johnny burns through their weapons while Ben obliterates their missiles. Sue even mixes it up with Morat in hand to hand. It's a good fight that ends when the scroll emperor arrives with his royal guard. Faced with a firing squad, Morat refuses to surrender. Anel still loves him and jumps into the line of fire. Even though it looked like an unavoidable tragedy was about to occur, Sue protects Anel with a force field. Morat, however, is killed. Now, the Emperor is in Sue's debt. They ask for a scroll who killed Dr. Storm, and the Emperor is pleased to inform them that it was, in fact, Morat who did the deed and who wanted to conquer the Earth anyway. The Emperor declares Earth need no longer fear the scroll. As they leave, Sue finds her revenge to be bitter, and Ben remarks that the princess was the one who really got the short end of the stick. They leave on this note. It's a different galaxy and a different race of living beings. And yet it seems that ambition and hate and love are the same everywhere in the universe. Perhaps we are not really so different from others, either on Earth or in the endless void of space. And the day all of mankind realizes that lesson, we shall come one step closer to brotherhood and universal peace. Landing back on Earth, Johnny transports the team from their rocket landing to the wedding rehearsal by using a vacuum point of flame tornado. And how does that not just cook everyone alive? But we end at the rehearsal and Ben blubbering about the oncoming wedding. Next up, we have Thor 142, The Scourge of the Super Scroll. This ep issue was written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Coletta, Lettering by Artie Simic, edited by Stan Lee, with Jack Kirby, Vince Coletta, Stan Goldberg, and Sam Rosen on the cover art. On this cover, Thor stands on the side of a building in a very dynamic pose as a familiar green figure has seemingly ripped off a chimney and looks to bludgeon the Golden Avenger with it. 
The rubble debris and Thor's billowing cape do a lot to give this cover some kinetic energy. And I really like it. It's very good. So this issue starts out with a dude on a motorcycle challenging Thor to a race. Thor loves this idea and decides to take the bike to a safe place for them to do their racing. To this end, he hops on and flies into the sky, terrifying the rider, moves at super speed for a bit before depositing bike and rider back in New York. This is very, very trickster deity of Thor, and I just really enjoy this sequence. Yeah, it's real good. <laughs> then we cut to Loki, who was exiled to another time-space continuum by Imperius Odin. Loki is out here monologuing up a storm, which, I mean, he's alone in a deserted universe or something. It isn't that unreasonable. Apparently, even though he's in prison, Loki can physically project himself elsewhere. To that end, Loki finds the survey ship of the Super Scroll. He mind-controls Kalert into thinking that picking a fight with Thor is a good idea. Now, we've covered Super Scroll before, both in Episode 1 and in our Captain Marvel coverage, but if you're with us for the first time, the Super Scroll, named Kalert, is a shape-shifting cosmic antagonist who has all the powers of the Fantastic Four. So, flames, flight, invisibility, strength... Toughness, stretching, force fields, and additionally, he has a little bit of mind control hypnosis as a bonus. He's a pretty big deal who never really gets the respect he deserves, and loses probably more often than is logical, considering his incredible power set. Super Scroll beelines to Earth, and upon arriving, just immediately starts setting New York on fire. Donald Blake, alter ego of Thor, sees the flaming scroll and transforms into his godly alter ego, Thor. Thor engages Super Scroll in the air and starts by flinging Mjolnir into a whirlwind that douses the flames. Kalert responds by turning rocky and orange as the thing, ripping an entire roof off an apartment building and hucks it at Thor, who narrowly dodges. We have a brief aside where Balder is getting into some trouble that we will not be covering, at least at this point. The only thing I wanted to point out here is that Asgard looks rad, and in this era, no one gives Sif the respect she deserves. Nobody, and it's maddening. Back in the... Sorry. <laughs> it just, that just hella pissed me off when I was reading that. Yeah, cut that out. But yeah. no, and it's not—it's not even the first time in these issues that we are covering that Sif is like, "I volunteer for this extremely dangerous thing because I'm a warrior of renown," and everyone's like, "But it'll be too dangerous for you." Yeah, you're a lady; you can't do it. And she's like, "I dare one of you to stop me." <laughs> Back in the fight, Super Scroll uses all his powers at his disposal to tangle with Thor. The longer they go on, the more powers used in conjunction Super Scroll is using till finally Kalert signals that he's pulling out all the stops and is going Nova. Thor starts taking this seriously as well as such heat threatens all life on the planet. Thor bolts away to gain some distance, spinning his hammer in front of himself to disperse the flames coming his way. The Super Scroll is ready to play the endurance game with Thor, but Odinson has had enough. 
Hast thou so soon forgot? Tis the god of thunder who doth oppose thee. Tis mighty Thor, at whose behest the storm doth erupt, the lightning doth flash, the heavens themselves reveal their awesome majesty. So be it! And so begins a torrential downpour that douses the scroll's flames. There's an awesome panel of the two of them in the rain, and it's only their silhouettes. It's very evocative. Super Scroll goes on to use force fields, but Hammer Time prevails, forcing Super Scroll to grapple with Odin's son. It doesn't turn out well for him as he finds himself thrashed into a wall and on the ropes. At this point, Thor has to figure out a way to remove the scroll without killing him, and so he generates an anti-force beam with Mjolnir to banish Kalert from the Earth. Now, Thor says banishment eternal, but what he means is 11 months later in Captain Marvel number two. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, outro on Loki being salty, and that's just no big deal. Now it's time for the backup stories. Uh, We'll start with Thor 146, the origin of the incomparable Inhumans. This is written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Joe Sano, lettered by Artie Simic, and edited by Stan Lee. So this story spans more issues than we'll actually be getting into, but it's important groundwork. It begins in the prehistoric time, with mankind still solidly in the Stone Age. There are, however, some humans that defied that slow development and reached an advanced civilization during this time. These scientifically gifted folk made Atalan the hidden city. This is all told through a few pages of essentially montage. The story actually begins the discovery of the Terrigen myths and the process of Terrigenesis. It's dangerous, and the scientists aren't really interested in trying it out. Randak, king of Atalan, insists it must be tested. He isn't willing to ask his subjects to take any risks, though, that he himself will not take. So he undergoes the process first. His loyal subjects say that no matter the outcome, the name of Randak will be forever remembered in their history. Now, lastly, we have the backup of Thor 147, The Reason Why. This was written by Stan Lee, penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Joe Sano, lettered by Artie Simic, and edited by Stan Lee. A Cree Century remarks that it's time for the second phase. It's being pelted by arrows and rocks from primitive humans that remark that it's heading towards Adelan. The Sentry, striding aside some Mastodons, explains that it has been tasked to guard a Cree base, though that will take a thousand years, and something has roused him from his slumber early, and he's trying to find out what. What he finds is the gleaming city of Adelan. He takes it to mean that the great experiment of the Cree has succeeded. As he's hovering over the water towards Adelan, the Sentry talks about how the Cree decided to experiment on a human tribe, evolutionarily speeding them up and altering their genetics. Apparently, the Cree grew distracted from this and lost interest in the test, but the Sentry thinks it's worthwhile to investigate. In Adelan, the citizenry are hopeful that the Sentry comes in peace. They're hoping to learn from him, while at that same moment, King Randak has emerged from the Terrigen Mist, unharmed but changed, and he's gained some new power. 
The Cree sentry stopped at the gates introduces himself as Century 459. This is the same one who tangled with the Fantastic Four and Captain Marvel, as the canny listener may have already guessed. He explains to the citizens that the Cree were responsible for their being uplifted, and that the Cree may not return for centuries, if at all. But he wants to know what happened with the king. The answer is a blast from an off-panel hand. Randak declares that he now has the power to safeguard his people from any danger, human or Cree. And the sentry seems really pleased by this and dubs them the Inhumans. Randak then establishes that every citizen will be given Terragenesis and gain a new power, and that their tribe will remain hidden in Adelan. Thus, the secret of the Inhumans was finally revealed to us, the readers. If you want to read the issues we covered today, you can find them collected in Essential Fantastic Four Volume 2, Marvel Masterworks Fantastic Four Volume 4, Fantastic Four Epic Collection Volume 3, and Fantastic Four Omnibus Volume 2, Essential, es, Essential Thor Volume 3, Marvel Masterworks Thor Mighty Thor Volume 6, Thor Epic Collection Volume 3, and the Mighty Thor Omnibus Volume 2, as well as digitally on Comixology. As for the backups, however, they are non-comicsology in the Thor volumes, but they are collected in Marvel Masterworks The Inhumans Volume 1, and all of the stories appear in Marvel Unlimited. Or you can ask your local library. So we're about to go into the Kree Scroll War from here. And as the person who knew more about these cosmic events going into this podcast, uh, Jonathan, I just wanted to ask you, what do you think of the Cosmic Marvel Universe so far? Does it match the shape that you recognize from reading comics yourself? Not exactly. Um, a lot of it happens a, even more in the background than I kind of initially anticipated, at least this early on. But at the same time, uh, one of my biggest concerns or fears diving in was that it would perhaps be like it would feel too dated and maybe not be enjoyable, uh, especially given that my my early Stanley experience was with the X Men, mm -hmm. and and honestly, like it's it's been an extremely enjoyable ride so far. I've I've loved every moment of this, except, funnily enough, that X Men story is painful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, this has been a, a really wonderful experience, actually learning everything from the building blocks forward. I definitely got my start with Cosmic Marvel with the Volume 3 Silver Surfer stuff, and that's all, like, actually in the, like, post-Infinity Gauntlet era basically and so like i had a a much more like oh no here are all of these pieces they're already in place ego the living planet is over there and you know there's eon and there's quasar and there's like all of these characters but seeing them like come into being one by one holistically and how all of the parts were initially arranged has been absolutely fascinating uh as an experience 
one more other thing I wanted to ask you was, uh, are there any characters that have like really surprised you uh, in these initial readings? Hmm. I, I think the Kree are a lot more interesting than I initially thought they were. Uh, I never really looked into them very much or, or cared very much about them given my background and watching the little bit that we get of them is real fascinating. Um, I, I did have a love of silver surfer coming into this and that was actually kind of part of the onus for starting the the podcast. But um, seeing the early Cree and the early scroll uh, definitely grew them on my list and early renditions of captain marvel uh i was used to him more from uh later appearances the the starlin stuff and so seeing the earlier appearances was was extremely fascinating all right well i think that is us for this week uh real quick before we wrap if you have any questions uh for Cree Scroll War, uh the next two episodes are gonna be covering that. So if you want to shoot questions at us, add us on Twitter or email us artifactsofinfinity at gmail.com and we will be happy to add those questions into the into the recording and answer them for you. If sacred places are spared the ravages of war, then make all places sacred. And if the holy people are to be kept harmless from war, then make all peoples holy. This has been Artifacts of Infinity. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Everett. And this was edited by Everett Christensen. We will see you in the infinite cosmos.